All right, we are back. We talked at the top of the program about how I wanted to um, address my reaction to Kill the Messenger, which I did have a chance to see at the Tower Theater here in Sacramento. Uh, unfortunately, I was unable to attend a screening uh, on, I guess, the day after it opened down in Berkeley. Peter Dale Scott and uh, and a good friend of ours, Dr. Gary Aguilar, went to go see it in Berkeley. I, I was not able to attend that night, but I'm hoping we can talk about um, their reaction to that. And I wanted to start off with this by citing the book Peter Dale Scott did back in the 90s called Cocaine Politics, and I want to quote from Gary Webb, his review that was on Amazon about that book, which is as follows. This incredible volume was one of the first things I read when I began researching the issue of Contra cocaine trafficking for the San Jose Mercury News in 1995. To call the experience an eye-opener is a major understatement. Cocaine politics not only confirmed to me that the Contra drug link was for real, but that it was just a small part of an even more insidious picture, a secret and practically invisible world where intelligence operatives and criminals collude, wreak havoc, and almost always escape prosecution and accountability. When a producer from Dateline NBC, which did a show about my Dark Alliance series, asked me for recommended reading material on this issue, I unhesitatingly recommended Cocaine Politics. His reaction afterwards was memorable. This is the most amazing book I've ever read. How come I've never heard of any of this stuff before? Said Webb. The answer is pretty obvious once you read the book. If the American public ever got wind of this story, our country and our government would never be the same again. Now, we hope we can speak to Peter Dale Scott uh, directly about his book and his reaction to the movie and et cetera about Gary Webb. But uh, fortunately, we have... His uh, companion that night joining us from San Francisco, uh, Dr. Gary Aguilar. Welcome back to Radio Parallax, Gary. Well, thank you so much for having me, Doug. And it was a rare privilege to be able to sit, watch the film with Peter, and then go and have, oh, probably a two-hour-long two conversation about it afterward. It was absolutely electric. And, well, uh, and yeah. again, let's not ignore the fact that Gary Webb's whole series may have arisen out of Peter Dale Scott's book, Cocaine Politics. So he really lies at the very heart of this story. Well, Peter's a busy man. I know we can't reach him on short notice at all times, but I'm looking forward to maybe speaking with him about that and also about the Edward Snowden documentary coming out next uh, week, which I'm sure we'll have a thing or two to say about it. But uh, talk, uh, if you will, about about what Peter's reaction and your reaction was seeing it uh, last Saturday. Well, there was a very uh, interesting but sort of brief segment in the film that Peter said he had actually worked with the screenwriters to insert to ensure that it would be inserted. And that is about a fellow, and I don't recall the name they gave him in the film, but it'll be very obvious to anyone who sees the film. The guy's name was Dennis Ainsworth. He was a very wealthy Republican operative in the Bay Area from Berkeley who was working with the Contra rebels, helping raise money and supporting their efforts to topple the 70s government. And Hainsworth, then, in dealing with these people, began realizing that the Contra rebels were dealing in drugs. And not only did he, did he mention it to the FBI, uh, and was virtually ignored, he went and, and dealt with some White House staff officials and presented it to them, and he was given a brush off. They did not want to hear about the drug dealing. Now, after Ainsworth made this public, uh, Peter explained to us at dinner, his whole fortunes fell apart. He then began having all sorts of financial and business problems he'd never had before, 
And here is a man who was as loyal as the day is long uh, to the Republican Party and their interests, including toppling the leftist Sandinista government in Guatemala, but telling the truth about where a lot of their funding was coming uh, from, from drugs, uh, cost him dearly. That was a, a very interesting part of the story that, that they touch on in the film, but now you sort of know the background story. I should also note that as we speak, I pulled up a piece by a legend of journalism, a guy we also have to bring back on the show, Robert Perry. He wrote a piece on October 9th titled The Sordid Contra Cocaine Saga, which indeed details some of what you're talking about, Mr. Ainsworth in the Bay Area, big Republican, etc. I don't know who was first on the ground on this story, whether it was Peter Dale Scott or Robert Perry. I'm going to have to go check my copy of Cocaine Politics to see the publication date. But in, a, in, in the 1980s, and this is 10 years before uh, Gary Webb's series came out in San Jose Mercury News, uh, Robert Perry began writing uh, about the, the cocaine trafficking and the drug running of a lot of the uh, uh, Contra rebels yeah. uh, because he was on the ground and broke the Ron Contra story for the AP and for Newsweek. And again, um, who knows whether it was the Ron Contra story or the cocaine yeah. uh, aspects, but after breaking that story, having never been caught in a lie, publishing, writing for AP and Newsweek, you know, very well-respected uh, institutions. He basically was marginalized and just shoved out of uh, mainstream journalism. He still writes uh, for ConsortiumNews.com, which I recommend to anyone, oh ConsortiumNews.com. And, and he was a close friend of Gary Webb. In fact, that's how I met Gary Webb, and that's where my personal story comes into this. I want you to stop right there and, and, and tell that story in a moment, but I just have to jump in and quote uh, from, from the beginning of that piece, the sordid Contra Cocaine Saga, he, Perry wrote, Special Report, if you ever wondered how the mainstream U.S. media changed from the hard-nosed Watergate press of the 70s into the brown-nosed mainstream media that swallowed the Iraqi war lies, a key middle point was the Contra Cocaine scandal of the 80s, 90s, subject of the new movie. And uh, I think that sums it up pretty well. But tell, tell me, you did have a chance to speak to Gary Webb and... Um, and it was the most interesting conversation, disturbing conversation. Tell us about that. Well, uh, he spoke at a conference uh, where uh, Robert Perry spoke, Gary Webb spoke, a guy from the New York Times, Tim Golden, spoke, uh, and a guy named Seth Rosenfeld, who broke the Frogman story for the San Francisco Examiner, where uh, guys, <laughs> the Frogmen, with, with uh, gear came up out of the water in the San Francisco Bay Area, calling up sales of cocaine, were arrested, and then the government interfered with their prosecution to get them out and get their money back to them. The frogman story by Seth Rosenfeld was really, but in any case, all four of these people, and I got to know Gary after that very, that very impressive presentation. They all spoke. And I you know, was talking to him, and I told him privately, I said, Gary, you know, you're going to be destroyed for this. And he looked at me, rolled his eyes, and he said, Gary, wait a minute, I've got my editor, Jerry Seppos, uh, who's depicted in the film in a very unflattering light, and I think deserves to be unflattering. Agreed. He says, I've got all the staff. They're all behind me 100%. All our data's up on the web. Yeah, I'm not going to be hurt by this. I said, no, Gary, you don't seem to understand. I said, look what happened to Ray Bonner, the New York Times, and the broke your, your Elmo Zodi massacre story in El Salvador. A, a group of people were being killed by people who we supported when he reported it publicly. He was basically destroyed by the New York Times, his own paper basically hung him out to dry. I said, look what happened to 
uh, Robert Perry, who was also standing on the stage with him speaking. After he broke Iran-Contra and some of this crack cocaine story, he was hung out to dry and basically dismissed him. You're going to be destroyed. And he wouldn't believe me. So about three weeks, or, uh, two weeks or three weeks later, uh, I began getting some hints from mainstream media that they were attacking Webb. So I called Timothy Weiner of the New York Times, and he took my call. And uh, I, I just chatted with him for a while, and he slammed Gary Webb up and down, you know, backward and forward. He could not have been more unfairly critical of Webb for the most minor, picayunish of right. uh, errors. Right. And I recorded the conversation. Uh, I know it's not legal to do that or proper <laughs> to do that, but I know your how this game Your secret's safe with us, Dr. Aguilar. But, yeah, I understand with all the radio listeners. <laughs> I recorded the conversation. It wrapped up the tape recording and sent it to Gary Webb. Called him back up on the phone. I said, gee, Gary, this is what I'm talking about. They're coming after you. You're going to be destroyed. But I think by the time I sent it to him, uh, you know, the, the first salvo for the Los Angeles Times, uh, the first hit piece, which is a 20,000-word hit piece, uh, you know, was already out. And they had devoted 17 journalists to going after Gary Webb. Yes. You know, the, the media basically will always back up government, corrupt government power whether it's in this country or any other country. That's the way the mainstream media of any country works. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you heard last week's show, but we, we re-aired our, our chat with Michael Levine from 10 years ago. He talked about appearing on a television show with Webb, at which point a CIA guy brought on board to give the other side of the story, leaned over during the break, said to Gary, we've got plans for you, my friend. And uh, didn't, Levine said, I don't think they meant they were going to destroy him physically, but they certainly meant to destroy him professionally, which, of course, uh, they did. And the, the criticism, or at least one of the uh, claims made now, is that there was no collusion between the CIA to ask the mainstream media to go after Gary Webb, uh, that they did it purely, you know, of their own interest because there were real factual problems with the story. And in fact, there were no factual problems. There were some very tiny exaggerations, right. which in the grand scheme of things meant virtually nothing. But there were no real factual problems, and in fact, a guy named Jesse Katz, who wrote for the Los Angeles Times, the hit pieces for the Los Angeles Times against Gary Webb, later apologized. I mean, there's apologized in the last year or so. And um, uh, there is some very interesting background information to show that the CIA was writing internal memos to itself about how, how disturbing Gary Webb's pieces were, and the fact that even though it was regional newspaper publishing them, I virtue of the fact they were on the web, it, it, which was then very new. I mean, everybody else is familiar with that happening every day now, but it wasn't, new, it wasn't uh, going on much then. Uh, this made the story a much bigger story. And, you know, there's just no, you, you just have to be a lunatic to think that the CIA did not get on the phone to its friends, as it indicated in, in its own internal memos, which you can read about uh, from Barbara Perry and other places. It got on the phone to its, you know, friends in the in uh, the mainstream media, and there are lots of them, and uh, you know, basically worked behind the scenes to make certain that they would do the right thing for the CIA, and that is discredit Gary Webb. Right. People who don't know about this need to only read the article that's still available on the web by uh, Bernstein of Bernstein Woodward, the Watergate thing, called the CIA and the media. It had close collaboration between the CIA and the media. There's been a close collaboration between yes. the two. We plugged that plugged that piece on the show before, and I'm glad you plugged it again. If people haven't read it, they certainly should. It's well worth the time to read. And it gives you an idea of how the press uh, works to this day. We are pushed into war. 
were pushed into all sorts of idiocies by virtue of this, you know, national security state, which is, you know, both a military industrial surveillance and uh, uh, semi-police state. Well, Gary, I, I, I must apologize to our listeners, I think, yet again for the fact that we were not able to bring Gary Webb onto this program, although we were speaking to him and trying to, to move in that direction. I do note that when I, I did speak with him briefly, he noted that he had plenty of follow-up material that he was ready to go with. He had not given the story up, as, as they show in the movie, but that he'd been blocked at every, every turn since then. Very sad. But you should also add, though, Doug, that he has a book called Dark Alliance in which a lot of that didn't make it into the uh, San Jose Mercury News is available and it's incredibly corroborative for everything to be originally reported. Well, thank you for correcting me on that. that that's true. You can, you can, that book uh, is out there. And, Dark uh, Alliance is well worth anyone yes. acquiring and reading. Yes, indeed. Let's just close with this. Uh, Perry's piece talks about how, if you don't have to believe me, go read the CIA's own report, which came out later, ignored by the media, that basically vindicated almost everything in Dark Alliance to the nth degree. Uh, to quote from Perry, Hits, referring to the CIA report, also recounted complaints from CIA analysts that CIA operations officers handling the Contras hid evidence of Contra drug trafficking even from the CIA's analysts. Because of the withheld evidence, the CIA analysts incorrectly concluded in the mid-80s that, quote, only a handful of Contras might have been involved in drug trafficking, unquote. That false statement was passed on to Congress and the major news organizations serving as an important basis for denouncing Gary Webb and his Dark Alliance series in 1996. And I think that's, that just says an awful lot. It's always the case that all these scandals are minimized, you know, diminished, and then it's 20 years later, 30 years later, declassified documents come out that prove that the original, you know, loudmouth, you know, hysterical whistleblower, if anything understated the case. And that's true here. And speaking of that, I, I hope you will come back being a, a nationally renowned expert as you are on the JFK case come November. Let's come back and do an update on that, shall we? I'd be more than happy to do that. There's some great fun stuff about that. Very too. curious new things coming out, even now. There are, even as we speak, some very interesting things coming out. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be, I'd be delighted. I look forward to it. All right, Dr. Gary Aguilar, thank you as always, and we'll be speaking again soon. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much, Doctor. I'm glad for the input of, of my, my good pal, Dr. Gary Aguilar. He's always welcome on this program. But I want to note a sad moment uh, when attending the conference back in Washington, D.C. a couple weeks back, looking at the 50th anniversary of the Warren Commission report, something which certainly has some parallels to the case of the uh, Gary Webb story in terms of changing the narrative of, of accurate reporting, I guess you might say. Dr. Aguilar was uh, hoping to host a... Uh, a symposium sometime in the next couple of months in the Bay Area regarding some new developments in the Kennedy case, things we'll be keen to report on on this program. And he asked reporter Jefferson Morley whether he might be able to attend. And I will never forget Jeff's expression as he turned to Gary and said, well, yeah, maybe. I'd like to. But I do have to focus on getting jobs. Now, I would like to refer you to our archives at radioparallax.com for the interview we did last year with Jefferson Morley. He's a first-class reporter, formerly of the Washington Post, who uh, courageously has decided to take a look at the real story behind the death of John F. Kennedy. And I think we can say at minimum that that's not a good career move. Jeff Morley is a first-class reporter, and his website, jfkfacts.com, is hard to beat. 
But like any journalist, he has to earn a living at what he does. Much like Gary Webb. But since we're talking about the Kennedy case, let's uh, let's conclude the chat we had some weeks back with a legendary investigator of uh, what happened to John Kennedy, Professor Josiah Thompson. Professor Thompson has been investigating the matter of what happened to John Kennedy since like 1966. He's been doing it for almost 50 years, and I had I asked him at the conclusion of our chat whether we thought we really would, hopefully in our lifetime anyway, get the real story. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that the, the region of uncertainty is, is constricting. I mean, I, I think we really do know what happened from, say, frame 310 on in the Zapruder film. I, I think that's, that's settled. And I think the earlier part of the shooting, again, I think the acoustics is the key to this. Because I think what one has in the acoustics evidence is a kind of time plot of the assassination, of when the shot, various shots were fired. I think in the Zapruder film, you have not as good a time plot for the, re- for the very, very simple reason that for most of the Zapruder film, the car's too far away yeah. to see what happened in the car. So if you're, if you're concerned about the registration of shots in the car, you can't see that very well at the beginning. Only at around 3.13, curiously enough, is the closest approach of the car to Zabruder's camera. Right, which is the moment he's fatally struck. So from there on, in the, in the next second, say, and they seem to match. We're looking forward to last second in Dallas' final version coming out, and when it does, let's, uh, I'd like to continue this. To- that would be great. Josiah Thompson, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. We have a tremendous respect on this program for investigative journalists and people who will just look into matters that just require exploration, wherein um, the story the public's been fed just doesn't quite add up. We've had, I don't know, dozens of such people on this show over the years, and we'll continue to do so. At any rate, we need a break. I'm Douglas Ebert, listening to Radio Parallax. Stick around. Stick around.